Well, next week, actually, I'm going to start a new series and um, some things that I have been like hearing and, and, and working through and walking through. I thought it might be helpful for us as a community to go through. And uh, so we're going to take some few weeks and look at uh, grace, which sounds kind of like, oh, yeah, grace. I know about grace. Like, good. Well, then, then you should still come. Um, but grace is this interesting thing where, where we think, like, we talk about salvation. How is somebody saved? And they go, well, they're saved. Are they saved by works? Are they saved by grace? And we go, oh, I know the answer to that one. I learned that one. That's by grace alone. By grace alone are we saved. That's right. You, got, you did well with that. But it's interesting for, I don't know about you, but I know for me, is that the hard thing for me is not trusting God's grace in a moment, like in the moment of salvation. That seems to be to be the easier. What's hard for me is to trust the, the grace over a longer period of time, if that makes sense. Like in other words, we trust that grace starts the journey, but we have a hard time embracing grace along the journey. And so I'm often talking and wrestling with things of myself, like how good is good enough, right? Like how much does God want from me? It always feels like there's more, and yet there's this idea of grace that's going to be over it. So we're going to spend some weeks talking about that, about the importance of grace in coming to faith, the importance of grace in staying in faith, and then the important uh, the important parts that grace plays in the continued relationship with Jesus and how he's continually giving it to us, not just in a moment, but over time. And so that's what we're going to talk about. This morning, though, is fairly straightforward. What I'm going to do is I'm going to preach on communion, and then we are going to take communion. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to preach on it, and then we're going to take it. And I think that communion as we would say that the Lord's Supper, the taking of the bread and the drinking of the wine, or as we have the grape juice, as we'll see this morning in the text, the fruit of the vine. It's an interesting thing. And one, I think, is that it's, it's obviously it was started by Jesus, as we're going to see in the text this morning. It's Jesus is the one who initiates it. He says, this is what I want you to do this. And whenever Jesus says, I want you to do this, like we should, we should probably do it. But one of the things I love about communion is that it was something given to us 2,000 years ago, and we're still doing it. Thousands of miles away, thousands of years later, and we're still doing it. You know how quickly traditions like raise up and then they die? It happens so quickly. When you think about your family traditions and about, well, that's a tradition. We used to do that with a kid. And maybe sometimes that tradition makes it a generation. If it's a really great tradition, then maybe it makes it a couple of generations or maybe even three generations. What? But that's about it. 2,000 years. I think about what's happened in the world in 2,000 years. And so we see this thing with its, its initiation by Jesus and its longevity, so this is something that Jesus initiated 2,000 years ago. And because of those two things, I think often it loses its strangeness. It's interesting because most people will say either we're entering into or we are already in a, po- a post-Christian culture. It's what you feel. It's probably what you feel every time maybe you log on to Facebook and you get frustrated. Oh, where, what is this? Click, 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 dislike, share, dislike. You can't dislike it, but you would if you could. 
And one of the things your soul is saying, we are, man, this is not right. And you go, well, part of it is because people say we're moving into or we're already into a what's called a post-Christian culture. And in a post-Christian culture, one of the things that happens is that as Christians, we become increasingly strange and increasingly odd. You see, it's interesting. We've come out of a culture where we were, we were the favored ones. We were the popular kids on campus. And that has changed because the campus has changed. And so I liken it to, at one point, Christianity used to be the star quarterback of the football team. And now we're a band geek. No offense to the band geeks. Well, maybe a little bit, but, but, but it, it's... I, was, I, was, I did the drama thing at times, and so kind of a little bit of that, too. I get that. I could have said that, too. Um, but, but, and I think what's happening is w- this is, we're, 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 we're the band geeks, but we're trying to, to act like the star football players, right? And so there's this awkwardness. And so I think part of Christianity is to own our strangeness. Like, yep, yeah, I get that's weird. And I think that this is one of the places we see this a lot is within communion, because if we stop at the end of the day, we go, yeah, this total, makes total sense. Say, so, what do you, wait, what? Mm-hmm. We eat of the bread. And what's the, ble- the bread again? It's, oh, it's the flesh of Jesus. Like, oh, okay. And then what do you do after that? We drink uh, the grape juice or the, or the wine. You go, uh-huh. And what is that? I go, that's the, the blood of Jesus. Totally normal. Like, why does that seem at all odd to you? We're eating of the flesh and drinking of the blood. It's interesting in, in John chapter 6, not what I'm going to cover this morning, but you could read it if you want to. In John chapter 6, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, my disciples are going to have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. If you want life, you're going to have to feed on my flesh. Do you know what some of the disciples did after that? They bounced out. Not the twelve. But other disciples, they bounced out, much like you might bounce out if I said, well, for, to have eternal life, you have to eat of my, you're like, I'm, I'm out of here, as, as rightfully so you should be. And so with, with Jesus, he says, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And by the way, cannibalism and drinking any kind of blood would have been way against Mosaic law, the law that they were following. And Jesus says, you have to do this if you want life. And so they, they left, and then Jesus turns to the other disciples and says to them, are you going to leave me too? Do you know what Peter says? Peter says, to where would we go? Like, you alone have the words of truth. I'm going to fill in the blank here with Peter, maybe like, yeah, Jesus, that's weird. Like, that's super weird. Like, I don't get the eating of the flesh and drinking of the blood. But if we left you, which means to me that I think that he at least thought about it. Yeah, maybe I should leave too. These other people are leaving. Maybe I should go with them. But where would I go? You alone have the words of truth, the words of life. And so this idea of communion, eating of the flesh and drinking of the blood. Do you know that early on is that the, the early church was seen as, they were seen as cannibals? And actually not in cannibals, actually, interestingly enough, they were, they were seen as, uh, as they would, the, the rumor on the street was that they were eating babies. Um, because, because the Roman, like what would happen in Roman culture is that they would have infanticide, so unwanted babies they would just put out there to leave or die, and the Christians would go and they would, they would, they would bring them in and then raise them. And people would see this, and they would go, what are they doing with those babies? They go, well, I heard. 
I heard that they eat of the flesh and drink of the blood. That's what I heard. And their, their natural conclusion was that the Christians, these weird, weird Christians are eating the babies, which is sad, right? But still, we're kind of, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of it's crazy. And now what's happened with us is now because of, I think, because of Jesus and the popularity of Christianity over time and the longevity of that is that we embrace it to go, this is totally normal. But in that, I think we miss some of the greatness of it. And so this is what I want to do this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. We could have looked at it of any of the Gospels, but we're going to look at Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to look at verse 26 and following. It says this. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take it, sorry, take, eat, this is my body. So after they were done eating, Jesus takes the bread, breaks it, blesses it, breaks it, gives it. And says, take it and eat it. Now this is what they were, as many of you probably know this, is that they were, they were, they were celebrating what's called Passover. It's a, it's a meal, it's a celebration that they were called to remember every year. And Passover, what Passover did was Passover remembered, remembered when, when the Israelites were down in Egypt. And God said to Moses, go get my people, go get my people. Pharaoh said no, Pharaoh said no, Pharaoh said no. Plagues came, plagues came, plagues came. There was one last plague. And in the last plague, what, what God says is, I'm going to take the firstborn of everything, the firstborn male of everything. Of, of animals, of people, of everything in the land. He says, except for those who have the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. And so God instructs them through Moses, instructs them to celebrate, to, to have this meal, to slay a lamb. And it says in there, to eat of the flesh of the lamb and then to put the door on the doorpost. And then that night when God came through is that he would not take the firstborn of the houses that had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And so the night of Passover, they would actually literally pass over those houses. <sighs> what? He would pass over those houses. And so, so we, we, we hear this and you think to yourself probably like, oh, well, this sounds a lot like, like Jesus. You go, yes. Yes, in fact, actually, Jesus is the fulfillment and the totality of what was foreshadowed in the Passover. And so then Jesus comes to, this is the meal that they're celebrating. They're they're celebrating the the release of slavery, that God has delivered them, that he passed over them. And then Jesus, in this part of the meal, he gives this part of the meal even more significant. He takes the bread, he breaks it. He gives thanks for it and breaks it and says, take and eat. And the other gospels, he says, this is here. This is my body, but my body that is broken for you. And so interestingly enough, we think that communion dates back 2000 years. Probably actually the roots of uh, communion date back 3500 years, 3500 years. The Jewish people today uh, and some even Christians still celebrate Passover. 
And so in this, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's saying, I want you to remember this. And specifically with this, he's saying, I want you to, to take this, take this and remember me. Remember me, my body broken for me. And what Jesus is saying in this moment is, I want you to remember my death. Now, this is an odd thing. Because we don't want to remember somebody's death, right? There's one thing we don't want to remember is how they died and when they died. What we want to remember is their life. Even if you go to a service, a memorial service, maybe there might be a fraction of the time talking about how the person died. What's the rest of the service about? How did they live? Let's talk about how they lived. Let's remember them and remember them well, which I think is appropriate, by the way. But that's not what Jesus says. It's interesting that Jesus does not give them the, the bread and what he, does, he doesn't say to them, hey, take this and eat of this. Take this and eat of this and remember the things that I taught you. Remember what I said, that thing about your neighbors. Remember that? He doesn't say, take this and remember the time that I walked on water. Take this and remember the time that I, I healed the man of blindness. Take this and remember the time in which I raised Lazarus from the dead. He says none of that. He says, take this in remembrance of me, my body broken, my death. Now, the only time that we would want to remember a death is if the death does something. And that's even true in our culture, right? If somebody dies tragically and then and then we go we, we don't want people to die tragically in this way and so we want to remember their death so they didn't die in vain and then out of that death is something has changed there's some sort of change that comes forth and i think that we see that obviously yes with with christianity is that we remember his death because of what his death accomplished uh, because what came out of it and what what flowed from it and so this is interesting that Jesus, look what Jesus says in the text. He took it, he blessed it, broke it, gave it. He took it, blessed it, broke it, gave it. What did the disciples do? They ate it. Jesus took it, blessed it, broke it, gave it. What did the disciples do? They ate it. This is very interesting here because what this means is that Jesus here is playing the host. He's the one, like he, here, he, he's active. He's going to talk about this new covenant. With this new covenant, he's the one initiating. He's doing everything. He's taking it. He's blessing it. He's breaking it. He's giving it. And the disciples are like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll eat it. And we think, even as we're going to talk about grace, like you think about like, like works and grace, you go, they're doing nothing. They're just receiving. That's all that they're doing. The host, Jesus, the host, the initiator of the covenant is doing everything else. He says, take this, my body, my body who's going to be broken for you. Eat it and remember. First Corinthians 11 tells us that every time we take of communion, we proclaim the death of Jesus until he comes. It's the public proclamation of the death of Jesus. Where Easter is going to be the public proclamation of the life of the resurrection is that really every time we take communion, we, pro we publicly proclaim his death. That's why we do it here. That's why we don't do it behind necessarily closed doors. 
It also makes it creepy, right? That's how it started. It's this creep. Like, what are they doing behind those closed doors? They're eating flesh and drinking blood. We do it here because we want to publicly proclaim the death of Jesus. He goes on then in 27. He says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so he says, I want you to take this. And so his death is somehow, this is what he's saying, his death somehow is going to initiate this covenant, this new covenant. This covenant, what the covenant is, the covenant is the thing that mediates the relationship between God and man. That's what a covenant is in this case. The covenant, it it mediates the relationship between God and man. And what Jesus is saying here, he goes, my death is going to initiate this new covenant. And so not only is he this, this, this host, but he's going to initiate and keep this new covenant. For about 1,500 years now, they were under this Mosaic covenant, the covenant when, when they came out of Egypt, they went into the desert, and then God called Moses up to Mount Sinai, and he gave him the Ten Commandments, and he went took the Ten Commandments, and what happens is that they are, they are entering into this covenant relationship. And you can read all about this in Exodus, but he said, if you keep the covenant, this is the blessings. If you don't keep the covenant, this is the curses. And for 1,500 years, you know what kind of stories we get? A God who keeps his covenant and an Israel that cannot. A God who keeps his covenant and an Israel that continually fails. And so there's this promise in Jeremiah of a new covenant that's coming. The old one has failed. And the old one's failed not because God's not a good God or a faithful God, but because we are unfaithful people. And so God is this promise. It's interesting that he promises them when they're in exile. He says there is a new covenant that is coming. And by the way, when you think about the Old and the New Testament, you can actually think Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant. Almost literally means that. So, but there's this new covenant that we get in Jeremiah. And Jeremiah 31 talks about this day that is to come. In 31... 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Do you hear that, by the way? Not like, oh, the time they came out of Egypt, like, time I took them, I literally took them by the hand and brought them out of slavery. Not like that one. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. So there's this new covenant that's coming. People are going to know God. There's this new covenant coming. 
and there's going to be this internalization of the relationship. There's not going to be this external thing as much as there's going to be this internal thing. So they're going to know God. There's going to be an internalization of that relationship. And then I'm going to forgive their sins. And interesting in this is that with the new covenant, before it was God's like, here are the blessings if you keep the covenant, here are the curses if you break the covenant. This time he's just saying, I'm just going to give you the blessings. In other words, that God is the covenant keeper. It's interesting, even the passage we're looking at this morning where God says, where Jesus says, I'm going to break the bread and some of this is going to go. I want you to take it and to eat it and to drink of the wine. And so we hear, we hear this, Jesus is initiating with the, the, the blood, is the, the blood is the sign of the new covenant. As Jesus is initiating this, do you know what sandwiches that story? The verses that go before this story and the verses that come after this story? The verses that come before the story in Matthew chapter 26 is going to be 20, uh, 20 through 25. Do you know this the story of Judas? Jesus is at the table and goes, one of you is going to betray me. So go and do it. And so right before this is a, is a story of betrayal. And then Jesus takes the bread, blesses the bread, breaks it, gives it, does the same with the wine, says this is the new covenant. Do you know what comes right after that? Jesus says they're going to strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. Do you know what Peter says? Peter says, well, I think these guys might. I mean, I could see this in some of their eyes. Like, he, like Thomas, he's gone. Like, he's he gone. But, but I, I'm going to, like, not, not me, right? Not me. I'm not going to do it. And Jesus is like, right, 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 right. Uh, actually, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster, the rooster crows. It's interesting then. And what do we get in between these two stories? We get a story of betrayal. We get a story of abandonment. And what do we get right in the middle? The covenant making and the covenant keeping Jesus. Sure, some are going to betray him. Some are going to abandon him. But that doesn't, that doesn't not change his covenant keeping. And by the way, this is going to play a lot as we, even as we talk about grace, that he is the one who keeps the covenant. He's the one, as we see here, he's the one that initiates it. He's the one who keeps it. Not only is he the host, but he is the keeper of the covenant. Not only do we remember his death, but we remember that his death proclaims, is the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins. And so, it's interesting because we would say that communion is not the forgiveness of sins. Sometimes people will want to say, I want to take communion. And I go, well, why would you like to do that? And they go, because I want my sins to be forgiven. I go, that's not what communion's for. Communion is for a declaration of a proclamation of something that's already true. No more does communion re-crucified Jesus is it doesn't doesn't forgive you of your sins that's what Jesus on the cross has done what what communion is is a proclamation of a declaration of that truth and so what we see is we see Jesus play the host we see Jesus play the covenant keeper 
And then look back at, at Matthew chapter 26, verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And they had sung a hymn. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is the last thing that happens here at the supper. By the way, there's, there's four cups of Passover. This cup is probably the third cup, the cup of redemption, which would be fitting for everything, right? As, as Jesus is getting ready to redeem things. And then he says this really interesting thing. It's interesting because he has said before, he goes, I, I have longed to have this meal with you. He has the meal. He institutes communion. And then he says of this again, he goes, and I'm not going to eat of this and drink of this. He goes, I'm not going to, he says, the, the fruit of the vine. I will not do this. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the day I drink with you and you in my father's kingdom. Which tells us something. It tells me that there is victory. Right? You see, Jesus is going to, you're getting ready to go to the cross. And maybe many were going to think this is, this is a failure. This is a loss. Death is lost. And Jesus says, I'm looking forward to the day. I am not going to drink of this, this, this wine again until the day I get to drink it anew with you in the Father's kingdom. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I would like to drink this again. And if you're with me and if we are in the Father's kingdom, then we shall. He says, when? I'll tell you when I'm going to drink of this again. I'm going to drink of this again. I'll tell you when it's going to be. It's going to be with you anew in my Father's kingdom. There is a day coming for the victory is secure. You know, you could read in, Revelations, in Revelation 19 that talks about the wedding feast of the Lamb. And there what we see are believers, Christians of old and new, and they have come together with a wedding feast with the Lamb. And so not only is Jesus playing the host, not only is Jesus playing the covenant-making, covenant-keeping host, he is also playing the victorious king. And it's interesting that on this night, what does he tell them? I want you to remember what's about to happen. Now, often when we think about remembering things, we think about looking back and go, oh, that was important. What Jesus is saying on the front end of this, I want you to remember this, remember this, of what's about to happen. Now, I picture the disciples experiencing that and thinking, like, how could we ever forget? How could we ever forget this? You're going through something like that. How could you ever forget? You're going to play this over and over in your mind, over and over in your mind. I'll never forget this. She's like, right. Don't forget this. I want you to remember this. Do you know why God had them celebrate Passover year after year after year after year? He says, I don't want you to forget. I want you to remember how I took you out of slavery. I want you to tell the stories, generations after generations, 1,500 years. Don't forget. Remember. And then Jesus comes and he institutes the new covenant. What does he institute the new covenant with? Remember. Remember. 
See, that should tell you something. It tells me something. It should tell you something. That one of our problems, one of the great problems of faith, I think, is just that we're just a forgetful kind of people. Like, I forget things. And not just like, you know, things like, oh, my keys. I'm, not, I'm talking about like important things. Like God's goodness. His faithfulness. His trustworthiness. Then place time I go to God to prayer. I'm like, God, what, are you going to like, are you going to act? God, I'm having a hard time trusting in your goodness and your faithfulness. God's like, have I ever disappointed you? Have I ever failed you? And I start to look back at my life and think about stories and answered prayers and stories and stories. I go, no. Then why is this time any different? You see, I think one of the problems of faith is not trusting in God's faithfulness, but just that we're a forgetful kind of people. And I find often is the places in which I am wrestling the most with God and having the hardest time in trusting Him is also the place where I've had some short-term, long-term memory loss. And Jesus in this moment says, don't forget. And interestingly enough, He gives us a physical act. So mental experience, right? A mental exercise, don't forget. And here is a here is a physical way in which I want to make sure that you don't that, that doesn't happen to you. And so we were, I can't remember who we were, I was talking just recently about like I'll do I'll I'll put random things in random places because I I don't want to forget this. I don't want to forget this. I don't want to forget like the, the milk in the refrigerator. I don't want to milk forget the milk in the refrigerator. So I'll put like um a post-it note just on my speedometer. So when I get into my car, I think, why is there a post-it note on my spadah milk in the refrigerator? There is a physical exercise that reminds me of, of, of something else. I was supposed to do this. And it's very interesting that Jesus says, I want you to, to not forget this, but I know you're also, you're a forgetful people, but you're also a physical kind of people. And so I'm going to give you an act in which to do, and I don't want you to forget. And so communion is this act of, telling Jesus on our part is this act of telling Jesus that we will not forget. And maybe you've come this morning and you have forgotten the faithfulness of Jesus, his goodness. Communion for you is this act of saying, God, I will not forget. But more than that, we remember that this morning that Jesus is the host Jesus is the host. He is the one who, in this case, as we see, right, he prepares the table. He prepares the meal. But more than that, right, not only has the host prepared the meal, but the host is the meal. Not only has he prepared the meal, but he himself is the meal. And it's only by grace that we're invited into the table. It's not because we are worthy. It's not because we have earned it. It's not because we waited in line. It's only by his grace that the host has invited us to the table. This morning we remember that he is the initiator and the covenant keeper. He is the only one 
who makes us acceptable before the Father. He initiated the covenant. He keeps the covenant. And it's by his death on the cross that we are made right in the eyes of God. He mediates the covenant, the relationship between God and man. And then also this morning we remember that victory is on the way. You know, it's not just this somber thing. I mean, I think there is this, we're supposed to remember the death, but we're also to remember that victory is on the way, that there is coming a day when we will share in communion of, of the fruit of the vine once again with Jesus in the Father's kingdom. And so maybe even this morning as you have forgotten, maybe you have forgotten that God is a good, gracious host. Maybe you've forgotten that he is the one who has called you and he is the one who keeps you. Or maybe you have forgotten that victory is certain. Jesus knows that this is like, if, you, if that's you, you go, man, I feel so guilty about that. Like, well, I mean, don't feel guilty about that in the sense like, that God knows, he goes, I know you do this. I know this is an issue. I know this is a problem. This is why I've given this to you. And so this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take communion. And if you're a Christian, the tables are open to you. By the way, there's, there's, there's two ways in which we do this. We, you can come up here. You can, you can kneel down. And you can pray when you're ready for the elements. You can, you can put your hand out and we will give you the, the bread. And then you can put your hand out again. We will give you the, the fruit of the vine. And um, it will be on either side here. Also in the back, there are tables back there that have the elements back there as well. And you can take those. You can take them back there. You can bring them back to your seats. And you can, you can take them there. You can take them as a couple if you'd like to. As a family if you'd like to. Um, but this morning as, as we do this um, is that for you, if you're a Christian, you're invited to the table. You know, it's interesting thing about communion is that it's the one place where we're all, like, society has ranked us. At the tables, we all come the same broken kind of people that are being restored by Jesus. Um, the one thing we would ask is that if you're, if you're not a Christian, that you would not partake in this. And that's not, like, I don't say that to exclude you or to isolate you. Because um, actually, truth be told, there's nothing that I would want more than to have you at the table. I mean, that, that it's, it, it is, the, it, I would love, love, love to have you at the table. But if what we've been talking about is that what we were remembering this morning is that Jesus is the host, he is the covenant initiator and the covenant keeper, and he is the victorious king. And if he is not that for you, then, then communion is just not for you. I thought about like this morning as I was getting ready for this, it'd be like, Inviting people to a 50th wedding anniversary, but you've never been married. It's like you're celebrating something that's not even true. Or you're remembering something that's not even accurate. If that is you, and you would like to, come seek me up or up here. I will, I will pray with you, or with John, or pray with you, or somebody in the back will pray with you. Um, and we would love to, to bring you into the kingdom, that Jesus would be your host. He would be your initiator of the covenant and keeper of the covenant and that he would be your victorious king.
I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to take communion. God, we just thank you for this time this morning. We thank you that you are the gracious host to us. We thank you that you are not only the preparer, but you are also the meal. We thank you that your body was broken for us, and we, we don't forget. Maybe even as we've been suffering this week, and we think about, do you know what it's like? Do you care? Do you hear? And yet, as we take communion this morning, we go, absolutely, you know. You know more than we do. Absolutely, you care. For your body was broken, not for, just, not for your own good, but for actually for us. May this morning we, we be reminded that you are the one who has called us into covenant relationship with you, Jesus, and you are the one who keeps us there. That the, the relationship is both started and maintained by you. And may this morning we receive you as a victorious king. We remember, we remember, maybe some people here just need to re- be reminded that, that, that there is victory. There's victory over circumstances. There's victory over illness. There's victory over abuse. There's victory over addiction. There is victory over death. And that's what we remember. Let us this morning somberly celebrate and remember who it is that you are, Jesus, and what you have done for us. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen. Amen.